I got called from a friend that we ride bikes with in Hudson, and he, uh, you know, I saw his name come up on my phone, and I was like, hey, man, sorry I haven't talked to you in a long time, or in a while, and, and uh, he's like, that's okay, and he said, but I'm, you know, calling on another occasion here, and he uh, began to uh, explain that his um, stepson uh, passed away suddenly, and uh, 30 years old, and um, I went out and was with the family, and spent some time with them and just sitting with the parents and I'm thinking, wow, this is crazy. This is so heavy. And things like this seem to happen. And I don't know if, like I said before, I've shared this with you before, I don't know if it's just because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in my early 50s now, I don't know if it's because I've been in the ministry for so long and these things are stringing together more tightly and more tightly of things happening out of the clear blue. Uh, we've experienced death, uh, unexpected death, um, uh, just a few months ago, uh, just out of the clear blue, and, and it just, it just, and then there's some other situations within uh, relationships within my life, my family, uh, where it's touch and go, and it's just, it just, it, I'm reminded constantly, constantly, I'm reminded that life is so brief. We are not. The Bible t- teaches us. The Bible explicitly tells us over and over and over again. You count every minute, right? Live your life to the fullest every minute and not in the, in the scope of the way uh, the world's philosophy is, but in the scope of living your life for Christ. And I think it's so easy, and, and at times I just step back because as a human uh, myself, I see how subtle Satan is to distract I see how subtle Satan is to distract in my life. That, you know, I, I, I have these goals or aspirations or, you know, for my spiritual life or for my uh, family life, physical life, whatever it is. And, and, and they're great aspirations. They're great aspirations. They're great goals. They're great objectives. I mean, it's laid out there. It's beautiful. It's nice. It's on keynote and PowerPoint and all kinds of different presentations. It's all laid out there, you know. But does some of it get done? No. I get distracted. I get off point. Six months later, I revisit it. Wow, I was going to start this. I was going to do this. I was going to go here. I was going to make this happen. I was going to touch base here. I was going to see this through. And there's no way anybody can, can convince me that, that you live a life where you are sheltered and secluded from the subtleties and the attacks of Satan. And he may not get us off point. We may not be to the point to where we're doing things that, uh, you know, that we, if we would classify sins, we would say, oh, that's a big one, you know. Uh, you know, I don't do this, that, or the other. But again, we've been told busyness can be the worst enemy we have, be one of the biggest demons that we have in our, in our lives where busyness takes us off point. And, it, and it's apparent, you know, through conversations at times where we just get so distracted. We get so off point. We get so convoluted with our thoughts and deceived and, and um, just all kinds of things at times. And I think that is the, really the heart and the thrust of, you know, as I've been reading uh, Francis Chan's book, Letters to the Church, and we've been, I've been using that to kind of inspire me to talk about, you know, the church and, and to say, look, man, we, we've got to make sure we're on point. We've got to make sure that we're not getting distracted. We've got to make sure that we are keeping our eyes laser-focused on Jesus. And many of us would say, oh, absolutely, right on, right on, right on. But yet, when we take a look at some of the very things that we get caught up in, 
they may not be bad things, but they're things that are off point. It's not, some of the things are is not what Jesus taught. And it's very interesting too that when we start looking at the Scriptures, and, I, and again guys, I really don't think we do this intentionally, but when we look at Scriptures, it's almost as if we sit down and say, I can do that one, that one's pretty cool. You know, let's, let's stay on top of that one. That one's, I don't like that one. I, that one, I don't like that. That one's too uncomfortable. And today we're going to talk about, if we were going to use the word uncomfortable, we're going to talk about a topic that probably ranks number one for uncomfortability when it comes to a Christian walk. And it's called, and some people probably say tithing. <laughs> and it's not tithing. It's called suffering. Suffering. Remember that word? Yeah, we've extracted that one out of our vocabulary years ago, right? Man, we don't want to suffer. No one wants to suffer. I don't want to suffer. You don't want to suffer. So I'm not standing here talking sarcastic or anything, but when I am reminded that the words of Christ, His teachings, actually insinuate, or actually He actually teaches us that we will suffer as Christ followers. And I look at my life and I think, and again, I'm not saying that I want to suffer. I'm not saying, hey, let's, let's bring on suffering. But I think at times we kind of extract it to the point to where it's like if we do suffer, we think something's wrong. So I want us to take a look at that because there is a high cost of following Jesus. There is a high cost. I've been in, I, I probably, I don't know how many uncomfortable conversations about this very topic because we're so quick to tie it to salvation too. When I start talking about the cost of following, when I start talking about suffering, someone's going to say, that has nothing to do with salvation. You can't tie that to salvation. For some reason, we always make that leap over to salvation. And part of me wants to say this, and it's my opinion, part of me wants to say, if we don't like it, well, we always jump to the salvation mode to say, well, that's not part of being saved. Part of being, you know, when we talk about what it means to be saved, and it's through, it's through grace and faith and placing our faith in Jesus Christ, that free gift of grace. It's nothing that we do. I recognize that. But when we look to the Scriptures and we see Jesus teaching time and time and time again, saying, they hated me, they're going to hate you. And I look at my life and I think, wow, you know, I work on being accepted. At times, I fight working on being accepted. Now, some of us will say, well, I don't really struggle with that. Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. Deep, deep down, you do. You have, every single person wants to be accepted. Now, you may not go to certain limits like other people, but deep, deep down, we want to be accepted. There's no way you're going to tell me you don't. I think it's an inherent trait that's in us, that was placed in us, and that's just part of it. So, at times, though, that can come in, and as a church, if we're not careful, we can become anything but um, considering the cost. So, today we're going to talk about the cost of following. We're going to talk about suffering. And if you would, I want you to turn with me to Mark uh, chapter 8. I want to look at verses 34 through uh, the first verse of the next chapter 9 there. And I want us to take a look again at the words of Christ. So, in Mark chapter 8. Starting with verse 34, listen to, what, listen to what Jesus is saying, or says. He says, 
Summoning, the words say, summoning the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his life? What can a man give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Then he said to them, I assure you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. Jesus lays out a very, very poignant message. You know, if, if you're going to follow me, man, it's, you need to consider the cost. In other Gospels, such as Matthew, um, Jesus goes, as Matthew records, it goes into a little bit different depth, and He says, if you don't hate your father and mother. Now, Jesus isn't saying you literally have to hate your father and mother, but what He's saying is, if the love you have, the love you have for me should, comp- uh, should be so intense that the, mo- that the love you have for the, 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 the most intense love you have on earth would seem like hate because you love me so much more. That's, that's hard. That's a tough teaching. It's so tough that later, and he would talk about, you know, considering the cost, and he would talk about, uh, you know, eating his flesh and drinking his blood to the point where people were like, you know what, uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm done. And, and, and people left. People walked away. It was too intense. And yet Jesus is saying, this is the life that I'm calling you to. So as a church, you know, as we look at this, isn't this what we, are, you know, as Jesus is, is re, you know, as we look at the words this morning, let us be reminded that the calling that is upon our lives isn't just let me have my ticket punched so I can go to heaven through salvation. But it's this life that's saying, I'm surrendering every aspect of my life to you. I'm considering the cost. I'm considering the cost that it's no longer about me. It's no longer about my desires. It's no longer about my wishes. It's no longer about me being right all the time. It's no longer about me having to express my opinion about everything or whatever it is and people have to listen to me and acknowledge me. It's not about that any longer. It's about me putting my life to the side and saying, Jesus, come, take my life. I want to follow you. I consider the cost. I will deny myself. And so the the first thing that we're going to look at that he says here, there's three demands essentially. Three demands that he that the the right at the beginning of this passage we see. Number one, he says you have to deny yourself. And he insists that if the disciples want to follow him, if the if you if these disciples these disciples he had. He's insistent that if you're going to follow him, you have or follow me, you have to deny yourself. No ifs, ands, buts about it, you deny yourself. He doesn't, he doesn't ask the disciples to deny something to themselves, but to deny the self and all the self-promoting ambitions. Now, some of us will participate in uh, Lent, right? You guys know what Lent is and Many of us uh, will participate in the process of Lent before Easter, and we will go. and I think it, does it start on Ash Wednesday? And you will you will de- declare something that you're going to give up for this time before Easter. 
Okay? Now, where I grew up, and I'm not making fun. I'm not making fun. I'm just using this as an illustration. And I get that at times I don't have a filter and someone's going to take it the wrong way. So please don't take it the wrong way. All right? I, when I grew, where I grew up in West Virginia, it was predominantly Italian. Literally, there, were Catholic, there, was, there was all kinds of Catholic churches in the town I grew up in. I love this time around Lent, okay? Because where I went to high school, we didn't... At the time, uh, I went to this high school that was downtown that was really old. We didn't even have a cafeteria. So out of the genius of these people, they released all these high school students to downtown to eat lunch and stuff, which I'm thinking, that is a bad idea, right? But anyhow, I remember on Fridays, they would bring in pizza and you could buy pizza. Well, during this time, many of the, my Catholic friends would not eat meat, okay? So they would peel the pepperoni off, which I was there to receive and to help them with their self-denial, okay? And I'm not making fun. I'm not. But it kind of amuses me, right? That that's the, that's the kind of things that we will say, well, that's what I'm giving up. I'm going to give up chocolate for Lent. I'm going to give and I'm not making fun if that's what you do, okay? I'm not. What I'm trying to say is, is that really what Jesus is talking about? Hey, I'll give up pop for Lent. I'll give up whatever it is. You know, something that we may like or whatever. I'm not so sure that's what Jesus was talking about when He says, you need to deny yourself. I think what Jesus was saying is just that. He was insisting upon His followers to say, look, if you're in, you're all in. There's no straddling the fence You're all in. It's about me. It's about giving up your ambitions. Because technically, if we're living in the the, uh, modality or the the philosophy or the, um, I I can't think of the word, um, of, of, of living for ourselves, we're actually living in the spirit of Satan. Pride. When we live in that sense of it's about me, that is the spirit of Satan. The spirit of Satan is all about himself. The spirit of Satan is pride. The spirit of Satan says, this is, what can I get out of everything? And last week we just talked about that. We talked about when Jesus came, he declared his mission as a a leader, as, as what he was about, and he was about essentially setting himself to the side and doing the will of the Father. It wasn't about Him whatsoever. It was about sacrificing everything about Himself and, and, and for the fulfillment of the will of the Father. So Jesus modeled this, 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 um, this sacrificial servant. And He's saying, it, and He modeled it for us, and He's saying, that is what I'm asking you to do too. To deny yourself. To make it about, to make it about God's kingdom. And so discipleship is not really this part-time volunteer work where we say, you know what, you know, I'll take on this discipleship process, but we have this innate, it seems like an innate capability of compartmentalizing our lives and saying, well, this is my, this is my discipleship life, this is over here is my, inner, my whatever, and we have our lives broken up. That's not the way it is at all. It's not that way at all. It's not some part-time volunteer. God refuses to accept these minor, or God refused to accept this minor role in our lives. He requires and desires the controlling place of our lives. God wants to be in control of our lives, where we deny ourselves and take upon Him. And those that, who deny themselves have learned to say this, just as Jesus said it Himself, not my will, 
but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Speaking to the Father. So the first demand is deny yourself. The second one is this, to take up your cross. Do you see how all of these kind of lead up to suffering? No one wants to deny yourself, do we? None of us wants to say, you know what, this isn't about me. It's all about you. Regardless if I get anything in return or not, it's all about you. It's about me living this sacrificial life. That is extremely hard. And at times that becomes a sense of suffering. And then on top of that, Jesus is going to say this, you need to take up your cross. Now what's so interesting about this is Jesus is demanding something from this, this, this concept this, the, the, that would sound very, very disturbing and strange to these disciples. If you think about it, the cross was invented by the Romans, right? And the only reason it was invented is to literally torture people. The cross was a, mat, it was a way of execution that would extend someone's death over time. And they would take this, this imagery of a cross and place someone on a cross... And they would, if they were crucifying, they would have these crosses throughout their region, throughout main thoroughfares and things like that, so that when people would walk by, what would they see? They would see someone who went against Rome. They would see someone who broke the law. They would see someone who did something that, was, that cost them their lives. Now, most, most logical human beings would look at that and say, I don't think I'm going to do that, right? To their point, to Rome's point, that's exactly what they were trying to communicate. That you would walk by a cross or a crucifixion, you would see someone just hanging there for days until the point they would like asphyxiate themselves or literally the birds would come and pick away and eat at them while they're still half alive and look at that and think, I never, ever, ever want to cross Rome. That's the last thing I want to do. And yet Jesus says this to his disciples, take up your cross. Take up your cross. I mean, what imagery, what, what, what this must have stated to, you know, to, um, to his disciples. And on top of that, they would even extend it out by making them carry part of the cross to, you know, to, the, to, the, to the beam that would already be in the ground. But, they, but Jesus was saying, look, if you follow me, you got to deny yourself and you got to pick up your cross. And then the third demand was this you got to follow my route. You got to follow my leading. I'm not following you. You got to follow me. I want you to follow me. Jesus appeals to this basic human desire to secure one's life as the rationale for making such a sacrifice. Jesus is appealing. Let me read one. Jesus is appealing to this basic human desire that we have to secure one's life as the rationale for making a sacrifice. And what he's saying is this. Humans seek to guarantee their lives, but we usually make these horrible decisions in the process, right? We do not have the capability. We have it in our minds that we want, our, we want to secure our lives. We want our lives to be good. We want our lives to be well. We want to do well in life. There's things that we want to accomplish. And we look at those things... And, and, and some of those things are not wrong whatsoever. But if they're rooted in the wrong thing, then it becomes wrong. And so many of us, we will make decisions where we struggle with denying ourselves. We refuse to take up our cross. And then when we start looking for the route to follow so that our lives will become more complete, we make these horrendous decisions that takes our life completely in the opposite direction that's going to actually give life. 
And Jesus is appealing to that saying, look, you want to have life, follow me. Follow my route. You want to have significance in your life. You want to feel like you have meaning. You want to feel like you are somebody. You want to feel like you know that, 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 that you are a person that is valued. Follow me. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. You follow my route, that's going to happen. How many of us in here this morning, if we would just be truthfully honest, we could look back in our lives and we could say, man, I made some really stupid decisions because I was trying to do this. I wanted this to take place in my life and I thought this would be great, but it just literally ruined my life. I know in counseling, man, that is where you can... I was sitting in a supervisor meeting one time and we were talking about Someone was sharing a story where they were working over, I, I don't know where they were working, but they were working with these high school girls. And this high school girl was, was uh, wanting to and trying so hard to get pregnant by her boyfriend in high school because she felt like if she got pregnant, he would love her more. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a good decision. But what is she looking for? What is she searching for? Isn't she searching for love? Isn't she, wasn't she searching for uh, you know, that sense of value, that sense of being accepted, that sense of being wanted, that sense of being desired that appeals to our human innate nature, right? That's planted within us. But instead of going to the following the route of Christ, instead of going that direction, she was making a decision over here that, would, that could have some major, major potential negative implications for her. Jesus is saying, stop thinking. Stop thinking and just follow me. Follow my route. I will give you life. If you're going to follow me, this is what it has to look like. This is because this is what I want to give you. And from there, Jesus then gives a solemn warning. Okay, Jesus gives this solemn warning and he says he talks about judgment. He talks about warning uh, the, 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 the warning implies that when the son of man comes in the glory of his father, he will come as a judge. And he warns the disciples not to retreat uh, away, but to but to actually engage. And, and, and he, he 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 tells them, he says, look, you're going to elsewhere in his teachings, you're going to experience by following me, you're going to experience suffering, you're going to experience humiliation. That's just part of it. And not that, he's, not that he's trying to sugarcoat it, not that he's trying to just dismiss it or anything like that, but he's just saying it's going to happen because you're going to be, going, you're going to be literally living your life the antithesis of the world. It's going to take place. Throughout Scripture, Jesus is saying suffering will be a part of following me. And so he shares and he warns and he gives them that. And... and, and Understanding that, uh, that, that, that that is part of what it's going to be like to follow Him. But then He gives this confident promise. He gives this confident, he gives this confident promise and He says, you know, this suffering's not going to go on forever. This suffering's not going to go on forever. This is temporary. 
And in the midst of that, he kind of talks about, you know, in a sense, in his teachings, he talks about, hey, if you're so worried about other people accepting you, if you're so worried about suffering, if you're so worried about the hands of other people, you need to kind of think more deeply about this because the person you need to really think about is God the Father. You're looking at some people over here, you're wrapped up in something that is very temporary. Even though suffering is horrible, even though suffering, you know, as I visited that family yesterday and sat down with them, and the, him and his wife, and I just can't imagine the pain that they were feeling from losing their son. By the way, he OD'd. 30 years old, and they find him in their house. Can you, parents, can you imagine what that would be like? Walking in and seeing your son laying on the floor, your child laying on the floor, 30 years old, laying on the floor because they OD'd on drugs. My heart was so heavy. Not one person would ever want to experience that. My heart was so heavy for them. And to think that this is the world that we live in right now. You and I hear stories about this all the time. We hear other kinds of stories that, that, that you, that, of friends and family, and maybe even some of you sitting in here this morning, where suffering is real. Or it's hitting you real. Jesus is saying, I'm with you. And he's saying it's part of it. It's part of living in this temporary world. But in addition, he's saying this. Don't be afraid of what is temporary, but be afraid of what's eternal. Because if we, if we live our lives in a state where we constantly are so worried about suffering and we can't suffer, we don't want to suffer or anything like that, we, we're more concerned about the temporary than we are the eternal. And Jesus is saying, look, this is temporary. And one of these days, it's going to be done. It's going to be gone. It's going to be finished. And we read about that in Revelation. We read about the time where time will be done and Jesus will gather all of the saints, all of His children together and we will live for eternity. We won't experience the things. We won't experience uh, um, people ODing on drugs. We won't experience getting the news that you have cancer. We won't be experiencing the news that, hey... Um, you know, I'm, I'm leaving you. I want a divorce and I'm taking the kids and you're never going to get to see the kids again. Or whatever it is. Whatever story it is. Because we all live in this temporary world that we get bombarded with these things that are so real and so negative. And I'm not dismissing them. And I'm not devaluing them. But what I'm saying is this. Jesus is saying this is temporary. And if we can just keep our eyes on Him and follow Him, He, is going, he gives us that sense of peace. He gives us that strength to work through it, but to know that this is all going to come to an end with there, with there, where there will never be a tear shed again. We will never hear those stories again. We will never hear the, that type of news again that just rips apart our hearts. But he says, you will be in heaven with me forever. I think about Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Verse, verses 7 through 11, and um, I, I think I skipped. If you would go to uh, Philippians chapter 3 there, uh, verses 7 through 11. I have it on the screen here, but I want you to listen to the words of Paul because this is someone that, that um, you read and you're thinking, okay, this guy, this guy got it. But look at, look at the words of Paul here where he says this. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Who writes that? 
What person would ever say, I want to know Jesus so much. I want to know the power of His resurrection. And not just that. Not just that. Not just experiencing the joys of that and the joys of eternal salvation and knowing that everything's going to be okay. But yet, Paul goes a step further and he says this, and I want to know. In fact, he says, it's my goal to know Him so much that I will know even the fellowship of His sufferings. And he says, being conformed to His death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. What a powerful goal, prayer, ambition for one's life. Elsewhere, he would say, in this same chapter, he would say, you know what? I used to consider all these things over here. I used to think this is what it was about. And if we, if we study the life of Paul, he attained to what the world would have said, this is where you want to be. He attained that. He had the education. He was, he was, he kind of arrived in that circle. He had achieved that, but yet he had this moment with Christ to understand that everything that he thought is what life was about. He could turn and he'd say, it's garbage. It's trash. Because what really matters is that I understand not that stuff that applies to me, but I understand the power of His resurrection, resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. What a powerful statement. Is that the prayer for you this morning? Is that your prayer? Is that your ambition? Where you say, you know what, this isn't about me. This isn't about me. This is about... Me denying myself and putting myself in a position to not to truly have this deep, intimate relationship with God, the power of His resurrection, and even the fellowship of His sufferings. When you read throughout the Scripture, time and time and time and time again, Jesus is saying, you're going to suffer, you're going to suffer, you're going to suffer, you're going to suffer. And all He's saying is, if you follow me, this is what's going to happen. He's just giving a heads up. This is what's going to happen. Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed because this is what's going to happen. But know it's temporary. And know that the suffering has a purpose. This morning, we're going to participate in communion. And we're going to do it a little bit different this morning because I'm going to ask you to use taking communion as a response to suffering for Jesus, for denying yourself, for picking up your cross and following Him daily. And as you come to the table with the communion, you don't have to be a member of Element, you have, but you do have to be a member of the family of God, and that's between you and God. That's not for me to judge. That's between you and God. But when you're coming, what you're doing is you're, you're celebrating what God has done in your life. But this morning, what I want us to look at too is that we're saying, God, I'm not only celebrating what you've done in, in my life, that I am the object of your love, but God, I'm also making a statement here to say, I'm about denying myself, picking up my cross, and following you. So what I want you to do as the worship team comes, they're going to be playing some music. And as you're taking communion, I want you to look at the screen. 
because we're going to have verses talking about suffering scroll as we take communion. So we won't be singing as you come and take communion. Use it as a response time. But I want you to watch the screen. I want you to read the verses. It'll keep looping, but I want you to read the verses as they come up on the screen because, again, it talks about, they talk and they teach about what this life is about in Christ. So as you come, what I want you to do is I want you to, um, I want you to literally take your juice. Uh, I want you to just take your communion here. There's a trash can on both sides of the tables. Spend just a couple seconds there. Drink your, uh, or participate in communion and just drop your cup into the trash can if you would and return to your seat quietly. But continue to read the verses as they scroll on the, um, on the, compu- on the screen here. And just um, use this time as a response as the worship team uh, begins to play some music as we participate uh, this morning in communion and respond to the call of Christ upon our lives. Would you do that?